0: But the gardener was certain that on one particular morning in October, he, the gardener, had come round the corner of the house carrying the hose, and had seen Mr. Smith standing on the lawn in a striped red and white jacket, which might have been his smoking jacket, but was quite as like a part of his pajamas, and had heard him then and there call out to his wife, who was looking out of the bedroom window onto the garden, these decisive and very loud expressions. "'I won't stay here any longer.' I've got another wife and much better children a long way from here. My other wife's got redder hair than yours, and my other garden's got a much finer situation, and I'm going off to them. With these words, apparently, he sent the rake flying far up into the sky, higher than many could have shot an arrow, and caught it again. Then he cleared the hedge at a leap and alighted on his feet down in the lane below, and set off up the road without even a hat." Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Marie. And I'm Grace. On today's episode, we are
1: discussing chapter two, book three of Man Alive. This chapter is called The Round Road
0: or The Desertion Charge. I love that we're recording today because it is also G.K. Chesterton's birthday. Yay!
1: Happy birthday, Gilbert.
0: Yes, we love this man, and it's been a little while since we've gotten to record. So yes, we're happy to be back together and with you all again. Um, <sighs> Grace, what are you drinking on this pints with episode today?
1: Well, I don't have a pint. I have a Lacroix, because um, it's I don't know,
0: still the afternoon and hot and <laughs> summery, and I don't know. I just wanted a Lacroix, so here I. It's am. in a can. Sometimes mm-hmm. pints come in a can. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I'm six months pregnant now, so I'm drinking uh, icy cranberry juice, and it's actually delicious. It is, of the few times I've had to be in the hospital, and it's one of my favorite memories of the hospital. They give you, like, really cold, really delicious cranberry juice. <laughs> That's and so funny. I made David buy it for me a few days ago when I remembered that I loved it so here we are it might actually be good to mix cranberry
1: juice with LaCroix some Mm. kind of LaCroix
0: that's an excellent idea I'm Mm. gonna try that today um so we are in the end of May huh and you are done with school now yes
1: praise the Lord um And I'm done, done with school. I don't know if I mentioned that before. I don't think so. I don't think I mentioned it yet. Um, So I'm actually not going to be teaching next year, which is pretty crazy. Life change because I've been teaching for eight years now. Um, Well, I am going to be teaching just in a different way. I'm going to be taking a new job at my parish, uh, my parish church, which is a parish, but it's also a student center at LSU. Um, And so... It's a ministry to college students. It's a massive ministry. There's over a hundred students in leadership um, for the student ministry. So it's uh, lots of campus ministers, focus missionaries, all kinds of different people that are working on this team. And I'm super excited to be able to join them. Um, I'll be in charge of doing a lot of the intellectual formation for the students and the parish. So excited for that new adventure.
0: That is really exciting. It sounds like uh, such a vibrant place for yeah. people's faith to grow and I love that there are over 100 um student leaders. Like yeah. that really puts it into perspective. Usually you've got like a handful of people volunteering to help lead. Right. That's so amazing. It's a it's a pretty incredible
1: place and I think that part of it has to do with the fact that here in South Louisiana, it's like very culturally Catholic. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people who have sort of fallen away from their faith or whatever, but people are sort of used to, um, that culture. And so at LSU you have a lot of people who were, you know, raised Catholic, baptized Catholic, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so, um, there's just a lot of, um, there's like a big pool to kind of draw from and a lot of students will kind of refine their faith in college and stuff. And so, um, anyways, yeah, it's just been, it's been such a gift over the last, well, really the last eight years since I've been in Baton Rouge that the pastor, um, Father Andrew is amazing. And the whole team has just
0: done so much to kind of grow the ministry. So anyway, that's awesome. Yeah. I am also finishing up something well i'm not finishing up for a couple more months but i'm i've decided i've decided to stay home with my baby yay so i've had three years at catholic answers and have loved 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 my time there and all of my coworkers. and it's just been like you said such a gift but um it's time for a new chapter so yeah um In July, I'll be done, and um, we'll say goodbye to being an assistant producer and saying hello to Mom Life, and I'm really excited, and David and I are also making a big move. We bought a house, and... (laughs) We're moving to Wisconsin. Oh
1: my gosh. <laughs> so, Wisconsin of all places. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know it sounds nuts. I am going to have lots of family there, so it will be a wonderful move, but definitely a transition, but a lot yeah. of a lot has changed since we last recorded. I
1: know, which to be fair, I think is part of the reason why we haven't recorded. <laughs> Both of us just kind yeah. of going crazy with life changes. We're like, oh, hey, let's start a podcast back in you know November. And we're like not realizing that our whole lives are about to be turned upside down.
0: <laughs> Completely. So. It's been the craziest time to try to have a podcast. But it really I'm glad that we even if it's not as frequent as we would like it to be. I'm glad that we are still doing it. It's, yeah, me too. it's a worthy endeavor. Um, so what are you reading right now? Now that you're well, done with school, I guess we might have a little more time to read.
1: Yeah, I just we just finished this past week, so I haven't really gotten a chance to get into my summer my summer reads. Um, one of the ones that I'm going to attempt to read over the summer is Jesus of Nazareth by Ratzinger. I hadn't mm. read that yet, um, and wow. but I did start reading Orthodoxy, um, which mm-hmm. hopefully is where we'll go next. So I wanted to kind of. Um, prep that a little bit and read through it because I've never read all the way through it. I've read lots of portions of it, but, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that's been delightful. So I've been kind of reading that off and on and then, yeah, just trying to pick
0: out my books, um, for the summer. So that's awesome. How about you? Um, David gifted me a copy, a first edition of, um, Chesterton's critical, Work on Charles Dickens. Oh wow! And I am going to—that is going to be my scholarly reading for the summer. Um, besides Orthodoxy, as we're studying that for the podcast. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it because um, I don't know if I said this on the podcast last time, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. But I, I read um, Great Expectations. Oh yeah, uh, I do remember you this saying year. That yeah and i and I loved it. I didn't enjoy Dickens as a kid at all mm-hmm. um and I've reread a few of his books as an adult and just seen them in a completely new way with new eyes and so I'm really curious to see what Chesterton has to say about him. um so that's that's my goal. um but as per usual, I'm like reading fun stuff like mixed in. so I just finished um an Agatha Christie. Um, mystery and the name of it is escaping me but it was fantastic and fun and I just I read it on the plane recently um David and I love whodunits so I do too too. (laughs) yeah that's That's like when I want to relax and read I reach for a mystery for sure um that's what I do with shows
1: too I just like always wanting to
0: watch like a a mystery so yeah great very cool do you want to go jump into the summary? Yeah. Great.
1: Moses Gould ended the last chapter by sharply drawing the gentleman's attention to one seemingly blatant fact, that Innocent Smith had been unfaithful to his wife, whoever she may be, and was now attempting this infidelity with Mary Gray. This accusation of attempted bigamy and desertion quickly sobers the group, greatly embarrasses Dr. Pym, and causes all to become dreadfully serious again. Michael Moon reveals that all of the documentation used in the defense of Innocent Smith was provided by Miss Gray herself. The prosecution rapidly presents damning evidence from Innocent's gardener, a Frenchman manning a cafe, a Russian stationmaster, a Chinese man tending a temple, and an isolated American pioneer in the mountains of California. Their letters reveal that Innocent has deserted his wife and children to travel to all these places, apparently looking for a better wife, better children, and a better house far off in the east somewhere. By the end of the chapter, however, a dirty and tired Innocent Smith, covered in the tattered rags of his former clothes, comes waltzing back into the garden of his house in England, startles the housemaid, and greets his wife, who smiles and says simply that he wants shaving. Despite the evidence, the chapter closes with Moses Gould going on a tirade against Innocent Smith, insisting that he is still damned because of all the other women he has seduced and allegedly killed.
0: I love this chapter. (laughs) I do
1: too. It's so fun. She's like, hey, let's go around the world. Yeah. I just,
0: I love how even, even with the two like kind of ridiculous sides of this, of like the defense Uh and the prosecution they all are horrified by like the idea of him being um oh my gosh uh oh my gosh I'm like my pregnancy brain of um (laughs) infidelity like they're both they're horrified for her sake that he that he would um commit these acts of infidelity and so um it kind of I don't know. That kind of says to me that it was a different time because I feel like that wouldn't <laughs> be as shocking today. Right. But it, right, it's yeah. like, in a sense, they're all gentlemen because they're all horrified by that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, at the end, which the next chapter is going to tackle the, the charge of all of the other women. But this one sort of tackles the desertion charge. Um. So him just like leaving the first wife. But. Um, all right. Yeah, it's, it's just so I, Chesterton does such a good job of encapsulating a lot of the philosophies, the more secular, or maybe not always secular, maybe sometimes religious, but um, I'll say, I guess, non-Christian philosophies mm-hmm. of all of these places that Innocent ends up mm-hmm. on his journey um, and his conversations with these people who write the letters about him are just so I don't know, to me, they were very enlightening and they get, they get right to the heart of, I guess, the differences or some of the differences between those philosophies and Christianity and like how Innocent is convicted of like what he's going about doing, which I would argue goes along with Christianity. Um, anyways, I feel like maybe we'll t- talk about them to kind of understand that more. Okay,
0: great. But, yeah. No, I agree. I thought I thought that the conversations between him and each of the characters is very interesting. And also uh, made me wonder if Chesterton himself had been to some of these places. It was just, it was an interesting imagining of these different situations. Uh-huh. Um, great. Well, actually... I've- we so as I read in the in the quote at the beginning of this episode he says he's going off to find a better wife, better children, better garden, better situation. Um is it a Christian thing to just leave your life your <laughs> life, your wife, yeah. your kids for a year to as we learn to go off and find them better than than you did before yeah. to appreciate them more than you did before right to yeah. love them probably better not. <laughs> Pro- probably not yeah. so why does he yeah why does he do this then
1: yeah I don't know I just I feel like going along with some of the more exaggerated farcical like explanations in this whole play or this whole novel so far I feel like it should be a play um yeah. I feel like it's In reality, not a good thing or not realistic, but the point of it, I think, could be maybe attained not so radically. Mm. (laughs) That makes sense. Like, I don't know. I I feel like it's maybe blowing everything out of proportion in order for us to understand a theme or a reality of Mm. having to remove ourselves from a situation at least mentally um in order to kind of come back and see it anew Mm. you know um I don't know if that makes sense I've experienced that like in small ways just going even just traveling like when I travel in the summers you know the last eight years having a teaching schedule I'm off in the summers and off uh, for longer periods of time during breaks and I'll travel a lot and like I love every summer going out to Colorado going in the mountains it's so beautiful it's so refreshing but at the end of my time there you know part of me doesn't want to leave but then part of me when I come back to Louisiana it's like I'm so ready to be back and I like so appreciate more all of the people that I left to go on that trip and all of the culture that I left behind and you know all of that kind of stuff it just like yeah. Kind of reminds me how much I like it. And in the middle of the year, when I get frustrated and stressed, it's mm. like hard for me to see that beauty that's right in front of me. Um, mm. But going away for just, you know, a week or so, like kind of reinvigorates, you know, my love for it. And so I, I yeah. guess I understand it on a small scale. Mm. Um,
0: I think that you, I, I think know. you're right about him overly exaggerating things in this book to make uh, infinitely more clear to us what the points mm-hmm. he's trying to make. He's he's using hyperbole in order to really bring the point across clearly. And yeah, I think you're right about that. I David and I were just talking the other day about how when you're a person who believes in God and who prays, um, as you like grow in the spiritual life, sometimes God. Things that God allows to happen or things that God gives to you, um, you can actually use them better. And, and kind of in the same way that you were saying, like, um, certain difficult situations will make you extra grateful for your spouse or for your mm. family or for your living situation. And it's like... Um, you know, like if if someone in your family gets sick or has a really hard time or loses a job, it's like the, there's this real appreciation there for those times when things are beautiful and good. And um, it just, you know, when somebody's sick, it's awful. But when they get better, you're so grateful that you have them. And you're like, you know, yeah. the the thought of losing someone, especially... Um, really puts into perspective that sickness and then hopefully that that re um regained health afterwards um so okay great yeah that's that's what i was thinking as well it's and we know it's kind of a ridiculous book all the way around so it's <laughs> none of none of this is exactly yeah. uh like kosher and what would happen in real life right. but that's part of why we yeah. love it
1: yeah, and I think I think Chesterton uses it. I mean, it's clear that he's using it also as a vehicle, you know, like innocent traveling, traveling all the way around the world and encountering these different types of people with these different philosophies, like in order to kind of uh, wrestle with those as well, you know, yeah. to kind of show his readers, like here's differing philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I think, you know, as cool as they sound, like they may not, hold water um so i think he's using this in a sort of apologetic as well um Absolutely. kind of arguing against some of these things and so in order for him to do that in a entertaining way <laughs> innocent yeah. smith has to travel around the world which yeah i just think it's fun but, yeah um,
0: yeah and he kind of like does that when with the professor earlier in the book yeah yeah when he you know tries to bring him to his knees or you know and say what do you really believe? Um, and I, I think in a slightly different way, he does it with these other people, because obviously he's not holding them all at gunpoint. He's having conversations right. with them. But yeah.
1: Yeah. And very short conversations, which is interesting. They're kind of punchy. Like he gets right to yeah. the, the
0: heart of it. He's like a wild man on. coming out of the forest, yeah. talks <laughs> for like five sentences and then runs away again. Yeah. 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 Great. So, well, um, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's okay.
1: I was going to say I I was struck by just the, I, I mean, I understand the practical reason for it, but the kind of uh, reiterating and reemphasizing of the East, like he's going off into the East. Mm-hmm. Um, hit says that he's going in an Easterly direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me think, I mean, obviously it made me think of Easter. Um, mm-hmm. And just thinking about sort of like death and life and, like resurrection and getting back to the beginning. Cause like the other name of this chapter is the round road. So one of the points that he's making is that we like, there's a beauty, there's like a metaphorical beauty in the earth being round, that we can run away and end up back where we started. Mm -hmm. And like in the Christian life, we, um, sort of experience that with, The resurrection like God has provided a way for us in running away from him to end up running into him Um, and so I just that that thinking about death and resurrection and Easter and um, yeah just like something bad being turned into something good and I mean this whole book really is like something that that seems bad and then it it tends to be turned into something good at least so far you know yeah um so just that whole theme i thought was really interesting and just thinking about the east and then there's all the symbolism from yeah um you know just like facing east like in our faith um yeah. towards the rising sun and all of that kind of stuff
0: yeah yeah that's beautiful uh, that's what i was thinking our ch- our church here faces east so we're like facing the tabernacle and facing east at the same time like really mm-hmm. looking to christ as we l- literally with the direction that our bodies are facing and yeah it you get the idea once you start seeing as he's traveling to these different places that he, he's going east and you think okay well the world is round if you live in 2020 or 2021 i forget what year it is um (laughs) i guess there are a number of people who think the earth is flat but it is round (laughs) yeah uh we're here to debunk debunk that theory um but it you realize he oh he's he's kind of he's heading back home like he's heading back towards something so but that's really that's beautiful um imagery about the resurrection and how yeah god reaches into our sinfulness and and rescues us out of that sinfulness i
1: liked his um
0: discussion
1: i think it was yeah when he goes he goes to russia Mm -hmm. um so i guess with the frenchman he starts with the frenchman in the cafe so he's just across the channel Mm -hmm. and he's um, telling him that he's looking for a house somewhere on an island, somewhere in the east, and the, and the the Frenchman's like, "What are you doing?" And then he's like, "Wait, but that sounds like England," and he's like, "Yeah, maybe that's what it was called, you know?" And he's like, "Well, <laughs> he's you should turn around, like, oh stay where you are, and like, turn around and go back." And he's like, "No, no, no, that's like that's way too long. Like that'll take way too long. Like I have to go further, and that'll be shorter, you know." Yeah, which is all paradoxical and everything. But um, when he gets to Russia. Um, And he meets this guy at the train station, like, in the middle of, like, nowhere. Um, Yeah. He has this conversation with him about turning himself upside down. Um, And he talks about, like, how his wife was better than all women and yet he couldn't feel it. Um, And so this whole time he's trying to, like, regain the awareness or the feeling or the consciousness of, like, the goodness of what's right in front of him, Mm. which is what we've been talking about. Um, but he realizes that it's not them that need to change. It's him that needs to change. Mm. And I think that that's a really good lesson for us. Um, I know for myself that like, I always think, you know, oh, these bad circumstances, like the circumstances need to change or I'm feeling Uh, bad or I'm not feeling something and everything else around me is like the reason. And like, I need to, I need all of that to like get better, you know, um, when a lot of the times what needs to change is my own interior, um, disposition and like Mm -hmm. my own like way of looking at whatever's right in front of me. Um, and so I thought that was really profound.
0: And sometimes our outward responses as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And his his comments about um, to the Frenchman and honestly along this whole journey about how it's necessary for him to continue going east and taking this, he's taking the whole world, like the the road of the world to get back to or to get to where he needs to go. And it seems absurd, but he's really, like, laying out for us the spiritual life, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's, he realizes, as you said, that his interior disposition is not what it should be in order to best appreciate, like, the goodness of God in his life. Um, and that is going to require growth, which requires change and moving. And I love that Chesterton, like, in an image for us, in a story shows us that spiritual growth like he's physically traveling and talking to people and changing interiorly so that when he does meet the people that he truly loves he'll love them as best as he can so this this journey around the world is like him physically showing us what happens maybe less physically in our own lives of like how much time do we take to pray? How much time do we take to grow? And but, yeah, one of the ideas that I love the most about it is that like you can't just stay exactly the same, you can't yes. be complacent and stay exactly the same as you are and expect things to get better or expect. Mm things to just happen like as you were saying like wishing the circumstances to change or um mm-hmm. wish just wishing things were different wishing doesn't do anything but he he literally starts taking steps forward towards it so right uh I like that because he's literally taking steps yeah <laughs>
1: around the world you know yeah and it's like that's that's like exactly yeah no that's so it I I heard a homily um we just had our our baccalaureate mass for our seniors and our chaplain Father Ryan is really great and he gave this homily about himself and he kind of had a um, all over the place like path to the priesthood but he was in seminary and then he wasn't in seminary and then he was back in seminary but um, whenever he said he talked about when he went to seminary He was there for several years at first and he thought like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting so holy. I'm like praying all the time, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then he leaves. He, he thinks this is not what God's calling him to do. So he leaves and he goes back to school. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he becomes a teacher and all this kind of stuff. And he said that as soon as he went back to school, like outside of the seminary, he realized really quickly that it was not virtue at all, um, that he had developed, that it was just the habit of everybody else around him doing something one way and Uh, like as soon as he was on his own it was like all of that he was like I'm gonna be he's like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna like date people and I'm gonna be like the best boyfriend ever and I'm gonna be like super virtuous I'm gonna be a really great guy and like to all my friends and like all this stuff and then he said that so quickly it was just like complacency you know and he was talking about how it's like the natural state of things in a fall in the fallen world is to just kind of like fizzle out you know to just kind of like become stagnant and to become complacent but like you have to constantly fight against that if you want to experience the fullness of life and so um so just like talking about like you said taking steps like constantly like you can't you can't ever not be on your guard you know like and that's that's what um I think Innocent's character is trying to show us that like he's so like radical like he he does it in such a way that's like over the top but It's trying to show us, like, it's necessary to be constantly, like, contemplating, like, oh, I'm, like, noticing, like, oh, I'm not appreciating the things in my life. Like, oh, I'm not appreciating my, you know, friends and my family members and my spouse and my kids and my job and all the things, you know, and, like, seeking to figure out how to change yourself. You know, totally. And just I don't know. Like I was thinking, we were talking about confession earlier. That that's just kind of like back to the beginning, back to the beginning, back to the beginning. Yeah. Like clean slate, clean slate, clean slate. like Totally. You kind of have to keep keep going at it. You know. Yeah. Um. So. And that's
0: actually like a really confession is a really great. Oh, it's like oh, Chesterton's smart. He's like drawing all of these things together. But like confession is a great example of that. How, um, you know, the Frenchman says just like go back to England. Like you're talking about England. Yeah man go home to your family there and he's saying I can't go back which is literally true we can't go back into the past and fix the past I have to go forward like I have to grow I have to get better Mm. and I love that with confession that only in going into confession confessing your sins and then being forgiven and walking out of the confessional are we like making that growth, not only we, we make growth in other parts of our life too, but, um, Mm -hmm. it's a very, that sacrament is like a very physical sign of, of that growth of that spiritual growth. So yeah, Chesterton's the best. It's okay.
1: (laughs) Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday,
0: (laughs) sir. Um, yeah.
1: Um, Another thing that he talked about with the Russian, uh, well, he jo- he made the joke about George Bernard Shaw, which is hilarious. Do you remember that? I don't um, think so. He like I don't think he I do. Jokes, so you know he has with Shaw, he has the Chesterton has this like rivalry, yeah, or whatever, yeah, and he and Shaw is sort of I guess it was sort of like a, a Marxist or something maybe. Yeah, and he, um, yeah, and so he he's talking innocent in the book is talking to the Russian guy at the train station who is like you know into the whole like revolution and it's gonna lead into like communism and all this kind of stuff um and he says something about shaw to the russian and the russians like oh i've never heard of him yeah (laughs) and it's like a dig because shaw would have loved to have been known by the russians who were like all about communism
0: so yeah he goes shaw takes temperance beverages into the suburbs but the things i do are unprecedented things so funny yeah, he's like mm, so. Never heard of him. Thanks, though.
1: <laughs> um, and then they talk about the story, the Dolls' House, um, where the wife like leaves her husband and children and like goes off into the world to find something better. And do you remember that that conversation? Yeah, it was like I think it sort of encapsulated. I think the world's current definition of marriage and like committed mm. relationships. So even though this is way back in Chesterton's time, um, let me read it here. Um, it's page one hundred sixty. Yeah, page one hundred sixty It's at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is what the Russian is saying that like the story, the dollhouse is about. And like, he's saying that this is the case. He says, what you called your marriage was only your mood. You have a right to leave it all behind. Like the clippings of your hair or the pairings of your nails. Having once escaped, you have the world before you though. The world, though the words may seem strange to you. You are free in Russia. Mm. Um, so he's telling innocent, he's trying to say like, it's good what you've done. It's good that you've ran away from your wife and kids. Cause they were boring you. Like, you know, <laughs> and you should go off and, and get yourself the world, you know, yeah. like you could get whatever the heck you want right now. Yeah. And Innocent argues against him um, and says it's way dangerous later. Um, he says, uh, you have convinced me, he said with the same dreamy eye, why it is really wicked and dangerous for a man to run away from his wife. Why is it dangerous? I inquired. Why? Because nobody can find him. Answered this odd person. And we all want to be found. Mm-hmm. So talking about like him running away to Russia, like no one could ever find him again. If he decided to stay there, he can, you know, find another woman, whatever. But like he, we want to be found, you know, it's like, we don't want to just keep sweeping things under the rug and moving on with our lives. Like we want to rediscover the thing that was there to begin with. Yeah. Um, We lost just we, in terms of humanity, like on the cosmic level, like we, we lost what we lost at the fall and it's like we don't it's like we want to go back in some way you know like in some way we have to go forward but we also want to go back we want to be able to find that thing that we lost yeah so yeah and if we and we want to be found
0: yeah i thought that was beautiful that he he also I, i think that reveals too that he feels found by his wife mm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he feels seen yeah. by her and found by her and he he also realizes in this man's suggestion that um leaving leaving a good thing or leaving the right thing not doing the right thing mm-hmm. it's not a solution that would satisfy him especially this crazy man on the, <laughs> this crazy journey like He's not going to be satisfied to just stop somewhere else. Try try again with new people. He really is trying to make an improvement, like a true improvement.
1: Yeah. I um I heard Bishop Barron one time describe the pa- uh the parable of the prodigal son. When the younger son, it says something about him like going off into a faraway land or to a foreign land or something. And I can't remember exactly what the wording is in the story, but um, he was talking about how like that can represent not just like a literal foreign land, but it can represent like a spiritual reality of being separate Mm. from God, separate from the father. Um, And that like whenever he, runs back to the father he's like reorienting himself like to the relationship that was broken Mm. so just as innocent is literally traveling around the world in order to come back to the beginning um like the in the story of the prodigal son he literally travels to a faraway country and then literally runs back to his father but like for us it means something deeper it means something more spiritual something that can happen like right here and now wherever i am like i'm not i don't have to actually travel (laughs) you know totally um yeah in order for that to happen but that's that anyway i also thought it was funny oh go go ahead no sorry
0: go ahead
1: i just thought it was funny at the end um he tells the the Russian guy before he gets back on the train. He tells him you're, that his revolution has failed. That like his revolution, as in like walking around the world, h- is going to succeed, but the revolution in Russia has failed. And it's interesting because like Chesterton's writing this in what like 1911. Yeah. And so this is way before the fall of the Soviet Union and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. You know, like decades and decades and decades before yeah. <laughs> that happens. But he's sort of predicting that already. You know, which I thought was interesting.
0: He sees the he sees the problems in their ideology, mm-hmm. which is like we've discussed this a lot in Father Brown as well, mm-hmm. because he likes to always have a like a socialist <laughs> in one of his mm-hmm. books. But um, he like sympathizes with the revolution the the revolutionary who says that they want mm-hmm. socialism or they want you know Marxism or whatever because mm-hmm. there are. As we've said before, there are some ideas expressed like every man being taken care of. And that speaks to Chesterton's heart because taking care of your fellow man is a Christian, beautiful thing. And it's one of our responsibilities that we feel like called to as children of God. We feel called to that. But um, Mm -hmm. he sees the flaws with it, like the (laughs) major flaws with it as well. And so I think. He could, he could anticipate the the failure of this revolution at an early stage. Yeah. And and I think Chesterton is. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think he would have. He just would have known also people in England who were sympathetic to this movement as well, mm-hmm. and who mm-hmm. were openly, de- openly declaring themselves as socialists. And so, he wasn't just like hearing about it from afar, but also coming into contact with people who would have been. Um, trying to convince others of what they believed. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, it reminds me, I just think Chesterton is this type of person that's so good at relating like that to all kinds of different thinkers like people who have different ideas than him and yet he's able to respect them and respect certain aspects of their ideas even if he doesn't agree with their conclusions or like totally agree with everything that they're saying um and I think he really does that like in this book too whenever he's talking about all these people around the world like he's in some way really respectful of them even if he disagrees like innocent Mm. is um and I feel like that comes out a lot whenever he meets the guy at the temple in China Um, and he says this line that's really interesting. He said, your idols and emperors are so old and wise and satisfying. He cried. It is a shame that they should be wrong. We are so vulgar and violent. We have done you so many iniquities. It is a shame that we should be right after all. So he's talking about Christianity, you know, versus this sort of like, I don't know what exactly the, I don't know if it's like Confucianism or, or whatever, um, this philosophy, Um, but, and he's, you know, he's making a claim. Like, obviously he believes that, that Christianity is, is correct, but he's, uh, humble enough to admit that he almost kind of wishes it wasn't because Mm. the people that he's encountered, you know, like the guy at the temple are like, so, you know, peaceful and wise and all of these things, you know? And he's like, (laughs) it almost seems like you should be right. But I think there's like a necessary distinction between the way that people live their lives and like the actual idea and it's like is it true or not you know yeah. it doesn't have anything yeah. to do with how people kind of suck at living it out you
0: know or yeah. not yeah <laughs> totally true yeah because we so. are fallen i actually kind of liked this interaction the best out of all of them because i feel like the um culture today at least here in the u.s like has embraced mm-hmm. um more so the ideas of like if you just live a peaceful yeah centered life like you hear those terms a lot like center yourself like meditate um you know mindfulness yeah mindfulness all of that like I feel like that is hugely being embraced um, in our culture today but it's not like it's not enough on its own and Mm. what is the motivation for it because if the Mm -hmm. if the motivation for like mindfulness and peacefulness is so that just you yourself feel at peace or like your home Mm -hmm. feels at peace that's great and like that desire for peace is from god like god Mm -hmm. is peace (laughs) but um at the same time it's like it's it's kind of missing the point because it's i think it's perpetuated like all of the self-centeredness in our world and like that idea that the the russian said before like if you're not happy like go like you're seize this like do if you're not happy leave your wife if you're not happy leave your children and um it's not enough to find personal happiness or like personal peace because it's this this whole thing is about a lot more than just us Mm -hmm. also yeah i think did you get a haircut because your hair looks fabulous Oh, thank you. Yes. I did. Get okay. Sorry. Interlude. <laughs> I was like looking at Grace this whole it time. It looks so it good. It was like
1: drying and I'm just like, it's kind of all in my face. So I'm like
0: constantly. <laughs> I love it. But <laughs> Anywho. thank you.
1: Um, yeah, no, I, I think that the, the conversation that he's having with this guy, like sort of reveal it's interesting. He's, he's arguing, he's arguing about like the gods and, and various things in the temple. And the God, the temple keeper is like, it doesn't even matter if the gods exist or not. And mm. they have this whole conversation about it. And he's like, no, it's, it's not for them. It's for us. Like the, the, the offerings that we bring to the temple, like, isn't for them, it's for us. And like, there's in the Christian reality of sacrifice, there's something true about that, that like, when we sacrifice, like the point of it is to open ourselves, you know, In order, yeah. it's not like God needs the sacrifice, you know? Yeah. He doesn't um, need anything. Like in the old Testament, he doesn't need the animals, you know, but like now he doesn't need us to worship him, you know, like he, he's fine on his own. Right. But like, so in that sense it is for us, but the difference is like this detachment or this like opening ourselves Mm. like to something or changing ourselves. It's like, it's in service of what? And Innocent is trying to point out to this guy, I think in China that like, ultimately if the gods don't exist and like, we're just here doing something for ourselves, like what does it even mean? What does it even, what makes it worth it? Like what's the, what's the lasting or cosmic like influence? Like there's nothing concrete. Like it's just sort of like whatever, you know, but for us as Christians, like the sacrifice is meant to open us to actually receive something and not just something but someone that there's like a relationship that is the heart of it. It's not Mm -hmm. about the actions. It's about the relationship that the actions serve. And so without that, love without that relationship like that's what gives meaning to it you know and without that there's there's nothingness there's an emptiness that's there so it seems cool on the outside but really it's empty you know
0: that was beautifully said totally agree
1: let's see what else oh i loved i loved the dude in california (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, if, like where, like when I was reading that and he was like up on the mountain, um, I was like, first of all, this reminds me because they were talking about drinking wine from the vineyards below his little shack on the hill. And a couple summers ago when we went out to California, we went up uh, north of San Francisco and we stayed at the Ignatius Press Retreat House. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, up there but they have their own little vineyard there's like a tiny little vineyard and we sat around and like watched the sunset over the mountains and like drank wine from the vineyard and like had dinner and stuff and like it just the way it was described in this book just reminded me exactly of that yeah um that moment but just kind of being out there feeling like and you're you live in California so this is like not anything weird to you but for me it was like I feel like I'm on the edge of the world right now like it felt like I was just so far away and like just on the edge, you know, and like, literally you're on the edge of the U S you know? (laughs) So it's like, there's a reality to that, but like, I don't know. It just, um, it, it felt, I don't know, all the feelings that were coming from me reading this was like, wow, that's exactly what I felt like when I was in Northern California. But, um, but the, the symbolism of the lantern that he has on his cabin, do you remember that it has like Bethlehem and the wise men Mm -hmm. and the star. Yeah. Um, and it just made me think, you know, earlier we did the episode on Chesterton's, uh, Christmas poetry and it made me think about all of that. The, like the traveling, like to find something and like trying to find the home, you know, like the house of Christmas or whatever the poem was that we read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just felt like that was Chesterton just kind of coming, (laughs) no pun intended, full circle, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like back to his, his themes. Absolutely. He,
0: he couldn't. He couldn't talk about a journey, a long journey like this, without somehow working in um, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, in, And I love this. It says, he seemed so mesmerized with the transparent glow of Our Lady's blue gown and the big gold star behind. And he led that led that he led me also to look at the thing, which I had not done for 14 years. And it's just like this beautiful little moment of. He made this guy appreciate this beautiful little thing that he had that he hadn't, you know, taken notice of in 14 years.
1: Yeah. And that's Chesterton in a nutshell. Like, I want you to look at what's right in front of you. You know, like, that's the whole theme, I feel like, of this book and really Chesterton in general. Like, all his stuff seems to be focused on that, like... Just like open your eyes, you know, (laughs) like see what's right in front of you. I love the exchange
0: that they have at the bottom of uh, page 168, if you're following along with us, Mm -hmm. where he goes, um, you know, he talks about seeing the star in the east. And he says, but if I followed the star, should I find the house? It depends on whether you are a wise man. Uh, And he goes, I am a man who left his own house because he could no longer bear to be away from it. It certainly sounds paradoxical. (laughs) I'm like chesterton calling himself out like directly yeah yeah um but this i love this at the the bottom of the page this kind of sums up this whole journey for him i heard my wife and children talking and saw them moving about the room and all the time i knew they were walking and talking in another house thousands of miles away under the light of different skies and beyond the series of seas i loved them with a devouring love because they seemed not only distant but unattainable Never did human creatures seem so dear and so desirable, but I seemed like a cold ghost. I loved them intolerably, therefore I cast off their dust from my feet for a testimony. Nay, I did more, I spurned the world under my feet so that it swung full circle like a treadmill. It's, I love it. He says, I loved them intolerably. Yeah. Huh. I like... Right, right after that,
1: he says, my pilgrimage is not yet accomplished. I have become a pilgrim to cure myself of being an exile. Mm -hmm. So in that, in that um, passage that you just read, he's in the room with them, but he feels completely isolated and separated like an exile in his own house, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and not because of anything they did, you know, like, again, it's on him, but it's like, he's like, I need to keep moving. Like you were saying earlier, take steps, keep moving so that I can be the pilgrim that's journeying back to the center, you yeah. know, back to the beginning. Um, so I guess that's, that's the difference. Like he it's not, recognizes ex- exile that. Exile is static.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. On the outside of something, you're stuck on the outside of something. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's just beautiful. Like he recognizes his need to be a better man. Like he, mm-hmm. he he doesn't see a problem in his, his wife and his children and leave them in order to find something new. He sees a problem within himself um, and he knows he needs to be a better man in order to love them truly. And I, I love how he expresses that here.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you think about the part below that when he talks about eternity as the largest of the idols the mightiest of the rivals of god he's talking about like Mm. loving where you're from and Mm. being like rooted in a place that you're from like having that great love for that place and defending that place to the death and like all of this kind of stuff like just this one little patch of earth that you're yeah uh, attached to and like instead of just like kind of going out into the great beyond or whatever and like like this guy has kind of done, right? Like he's gone out to California. There's nothing there. This is, you know, early on and it's like
0: yeah. He's like just I don't know. Well, he said he like points out at the sky and says like we could mm-hmm. worship that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, <laughs> people do this, right? Yeah. Like they find they find worship in hiking these beautiful, like, landscapes and um, seeing the beauty of God. The problem isn't the beauty of God. I think it's the, like, tantalizing nature of thinking that, yeah, that there is this, this, like, never-ending abyss for us to explore mm-hmm. and um, sort of to be obsessed with. Because there's like an appreciation Mm -hmm. that I think every normal person feels for a beautiful thing, uh, for a beautiful place. And I don't think there's a problem with like patriotism or um, Mm -hmm. a love of your home, like love of love of the land, but correctly ordered. And if, if, yeah, as with anything else, if it's put above love of God, then it does become a sort of pagan religion. It's like if we worship Mm -hmm. the land around us more than we worship the God who made that land, then we are making it into this pagan religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And even kind of on the flip side, like you're saying like the great beyond or the sky or the stars or whatever, like things that are beyond us, like worshiping that and saying like, oh, there's this vague force that is, you know, the thing that we worship that has created given rise to all of these things. And so it really doesn't matter any particular place of the earth or any particular space because it's really just this in great beyond, mm. you know, that's what it's all about. But again, there's an emptiness in that there's a, there's an impersonal component of that. I feel like the Christian understanding of God is that God is, is personal. Like we are personal because God is personal. Like it's, it's a, an actual unique and I don't know what the right word is like particular relationship Mm -hmm. that we're meant to have. Um, and not just something kind of out there, you know, but something really real and concrete and here and yet also beyond, you know, um, something that, that we can't totally comprehend and yet it's, it's like in our midst, you know, the incarnation, it's like God totally, um, Totally transcendent and mm-hmm. yet totally imminent, you know. Yes, um, and he says that, um, on page 170. I mean, that God bade me love one spot and serve it and do all things, however wild, in praise of it, so that this one spot might be a witness against all the infinities and sophistries that parati- paradise is somewhere and not anywhere, is something and not anything. Um, I like that line, like. Yeah. Again, it's not just like, oh, it could be anywhere. Or it could be anything. But no, it is something and it is somewhere. It's concrete. It's real. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just imagined. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It kind of
1: reminds me of like when people will talk about like loving humanity versus loving humans. And maybe that's Chesterton. I don't know. It might be. But um, we'll be like, mm. you know, somebody will have this great love for humanity and they're like kind of their heart is broken when they hear about things in the world and stuff, but it's just sort of this general, like, idea of love or this mm-hmm. idea of heartbrokenness, but it's not, like, a concrete, like, person in front of me that I'm going to serve, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so it kind of becomes nothingness. It's just, like, this thought or this feeling, but it's not grounded in anything. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe what Chesterton is getting at.
0: Yeah. Well, we should probably start to wrap up um what were your thoughts on the end of the chapter with um moses's uh response (laughs) to all of this he kind of flips out
1: (laughs) he's like he just like can't handle it he's like it's too over the top and we were kind of talking about that it is kind of too over the top Mm -hmm. but um, he's like, this can't be real. This can't be, this can't be anything that is believable, you know, but they're like, but we have the letters. And he's like, well, you, anybody could have written those letters. Yeah. You know. He's like not having it. Um, yeah. But he, he keeps just, I think by the end turning to the actual charge of bigamy mm-hmm. and he wants to get to that. Cause that's the thing that's really bothering him more than anything is the, the alleged, you know, him getting rid of these women that he supposedly has married. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think about it? I,
0: I think it's kind of ridiculous, but, like, at the same time, I feel like he... It's Chesterton saying, like, I realize what the reaction to this is going to be. And he puts it in, <laughs> yeah. he puts it in the person of Moses. That's a good point. He's like, yep, really this is point. how a normal person would respond to this. Because I do think it's a normal yeah. response. It's like, no, this is all too fantastical. And, like, we have evidence that he's done some things very wrong. Let's not get sidetracked here, okay? Like... Yeah, Please yeah. focus on what he's done wrong. And, like, there's a very real woman at this home, like, whose future is at stake. So I think he's got that in his mind. I, I think his response is actually pretty reasonable. But, um,
1: yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I think, I mean, even from the beginning, I think Michael Moon says that Moses Gould is supposed to be this sort of commonsensical, like, he's supposed to represent, like, the skepticism, but, like, from the place of a common sense standpoint yeah um and not as like pym who is like skepticism from like this overly intellectual like, yeah, standpoint yeah. or whatever where his head's kind of in the clouds but um but moses is like the man of the people you yeah know? yeah <laughs> so i like that that idea that he's meant to represent the real reaction to yeah. all this that's funny yeah well, wonderful um ah yeah. last
0: chapter you guys next time yes next episode will be our last chapter and then we will say goodbye to this blessed book for a little while
1: um, I'm excited to get started, uh, to finish up. I love this book so much, but I, um, I'm excited to, to dive into orthodoxy since I've been kind of dipping my toes in. A yeah, little bit. me too. Me too. So, yeah. Well, wonderful.
0: Well, um,
1: should we do this gratitude journal?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you grateful for this week?
1: I'm just, honestly, I'm just grateful for being done with school. Yes. <laughs> it has been sort of a dumpster fire of a year (laughs) of a school year. We've all just been so stressed. Everyone was stressed out of their minds right up to the end. So I'm just so grateful for it to be over and and kind of hit this reset button for everybody else who's going back to school next year. But for me to just kind of do a new, go in a new direction. So yeah, that's awesome. excited.
0: Um, well, gosh, what am I grateful for this week? I wrote here. I think I wrote this a few weeks ago. My baby scan we had a an anatomy scan of our baby, which was pretty amazing. <laughs> um, That's cool. Yeah, you just get to see them so much more clearly, and for the first time, it kind of felt like, oh my gosh, that is a little complete human being in there. Um, it still feels w- weird, um, but yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for modern medicine on that on that he front. Into well, great. So next week we will discuss the final chapter of, um, of Man Alive. And this is book two, chapter five, four. Yes? Wild Weddings yes. for the Polygamy Charge. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. Will you share with people how they can find us? Sure. Y'all can find us online
1: um, Instagram at Pinesville Chesterton, com. Or email us at pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. Great. May you all enjoy Lives
0: of Wit. And Whimsy. Cheers. Cheers.